You know, my father skipped fourth grade. You know how he did it? He went to a one-room schoolhouse and he listened in to the fifth grade lessons. I mean, wouldn't it be good if we started in first grade and you learned everything? Save a lot of time. First grade to postdoctoral studies. One year. You have a baby. You love him or her, and yet sometimes you just wish they'd grow up. And then they grow up, and you wish they were babies. That's the way God designed it. There's something about the process tells us a lot about ourselves and about the Lord. We're going to talk about that today by looking at an Old Testament text. We could have picked a lot of texts, but the one we picked is from Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 23. The Lord is speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you which shall drive out all of the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness of the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. The man's from New York City, went to Swarthmore College. In fact, over the years, he has given millions of dollars to Swarthmore. And yet, 15 years ago, he did something greater than that. He was invited to give the commencement address at his sixth grade elementary school for the sixth graders who were going from sixth grade to seventh, and they were leaving that school. Now, this man had attended that school in Harlem 50 years before. And so as he sat on stage and he looked over his notes and then he looked at all of the parents and children there, he quickly discerned that his talk wasn't going to fly. 
He thought to himself, how can I tell these kids, work hard and you can be anything you want to be? And so as he moved to the podium, he took his notes and he shoved them in his pocket and he just spoke from his heart. He said, kids, I've got a deal for you. You stay in school and not drop out. You get to 12th grade and you graduate and I'll pay for college. And all over the auditorium, there were whispers. There were shrieks. Parents said, you've got to be kidding me. And yet they knew who he was. They knew he had the resources to do it. You say, when Eugene Lang made that commitment, those kids had it made. No, actually, they didn't. You know what he discovered? No household had an alarm clock. There was no study habits. It amazed him that the kids got to the sixth grade. And so he determined that unless he made regular contact with those kids and those parents, they would never make it. Every Saturday morning for five and a half years, he opened his law office. He had a number of his junior attorneys come in along with himself and they would counsel every student and all of the parents. For five and a half years, he listened to the students and parents. He encouraged them to take step by step, seize the future. And you know something? That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in every life that he regenerates. In every believer's life, the Holy Spirit plays the same role. Come with me this morning to the western banks of the Red Sea. Now you may remember that in the Bible, the sea primarily symbolizes separation. The sea separates people from people. The sea separates some people from freedom, and that was true in the Israelites' case. The Red Sea was the border for them. The Red Sea is what separated them between hostage dwelling in Egypt and freedom in the promised land. When the Israelites come to the Red Sea, they recognize that immediately they recognize that they are separated from freedom. The Bible say in, and says instantly, they say to Moses, why did you bring us out here? You should have left us in Egypt. At least there we could eat and we could drink. And the Bible says immediately the Lord says to Moses, stand back and see the salvation of your God. And the Bible says that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. Meaning what? Meaning that day God set forth a future for his people. But notice, they have to grow into it. He frees them to a future, but it's up to them to seize the future. Like those sixth graders in Harlem, they have to work at it. Step by step. And the Lord says to them in an agreement, in a covenant, if you do these things, then I will do 
this. I want you to know that that covenant is made with God's people after he delivers them. It's after he's saved them. It's after he has freed them from the bondage of the Egyptians. The same is true for us. We don't participate in our salvation, our freedom. He frees us, he saves us, and then he gives us a promise with a covenant. You say, why would he make an agreement with them? Why would he make this covenant with them? Why would he say, you do these things and I will do this? Two reasons. So that they might know why he saved them and they may become capable of seizing what he has prepared for them. I mean, imagine their surprise. For 400 years, they've owned no land, and yet the Lord promises them their own land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Think of the tears. Think of the whispers. He's going to give us a land. For generations, they've made bricks. Now they're going to form bricks and build their own homes and cities. For generations, they've lived as underachievers. Now God says, I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you what you've desired. I'm going to give you more than you've ever desired. Imagine if Eugene Lang had written every family a check on the spot that day. Imagine if he had gone to every family and said, here's a $100,000 check. You say, if he had done that, the future of every child would have been as desolate as the past. That's right. They couldn't have handled it. Lang makes them a promise. But he doesn't give them the provisions of that promise all at once. From the Red Sea to the Mount of Olives, the Lord says the same thing to his people. I've promised you a future, but you need to grow into that future a step at a time. You say, how do we grow into it? Do we, can we learn anything from Scripture about how Christians are to grow into the future that the God has promised us? The answer is yes. There are four principles in this text. Four principles that apply to spiritual growth that we would do well to see, to understand, and to apply. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the first way to seize the future is by worshiping God. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. In those 11 verses, there are seven verses that have the first person singular pronoun in them, I. And every time I is used in these seven verses, the I always refers to the Lord. He says, I will give you, I will take, I will send, I will drive. In other words, he is the one who's in focus. 
Years ago, I was asked to give an invocational prayer at a, a lunch gathering at the Duquesne Club, and the people who were in attendance are some of the most wealthy, politically well-connected people in Pennsylvania. And after I agreed to pray, I thought, I better get to work on that prayer. You know, normally I don't work on prayers. I just pray them. But I thought, i got to pray more than just thanks for the food. The more I tried to work on that prayer, the less progress I made. Until one day, I was reading Deuteronomy chapter 8. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because it's so totally applicable to my life. There the Lord says to Israel, when you enter the promised land and you build goodly houses, that's fine houses, and when your crops are abundant and your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiplies, do not say in your heart, by my power and my might I've gained these things, but you shall remember it is the Lord your God, for it is he who has given them to you. Now think about it. From the time the Hebrews enter the promised land, they have a culture and a morality that is greater than any neighboring nation. When they enter the promised land, God has delivered them over and over again. They know God. They understand his mercy and his justice. And yet, you know something? There's a danger in all of that. And the danger is in crediting yourself rather than him. The danger is to worship yourself. I mean, that's our tendency. One time a reporter asked Corey Ten Boom. Remember, she was a survivor of a German concentration camp. She was a survivor, and yet all of her family died in that camp, Ravensbrück. She began a Bible study in that camp, and many of the women came to know Christ, even some of the guards. She was a woman who traveled the world speaking of Christ. And so the reporter said to her, Miss Ten Boom, isn't it hard for you to remain humble after all that you've done? I love what she said. She said, you know, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the, bank, the back of that donkey, do you think for one minute that it ever entered the donkey's head that those people were cheering for it? You see, Corey understood the first principle of seizing the future. The Lord alone deserves our worship. No one else, including us. Then second, notice the second lesson from this text. Obey his word. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. Did you ever hear about the frog who jumped into a hole in the middle of the road, a pothole, and he couldn't get out? All of his friend frogs jumped over and they tried their best to get him out, but they couldn't get him out. And so they left him for death. The next day, they're hopping down the road, and they look over, and there's this frog, their friend. He's hopping down the road as well. And they say to him, we thought you were a goner. 
The frog said, yeah, so did I until the truck came and I had to get out. (laughs) You see, the Lord knows that in the road of life, there are a lot of trucks. That's why he gives us certain commands. I used to always think as a kid that the commands of God not only were difficult, and I was right, but they were given to us because God's a bit of a killjoy. I mean, he says we can't do some things we really like to do. He tells us to do certain things we really don't want to do. And then I came to recognize, as I walk with him, that they're not for his benefit. They're for our benefit. He doesn't tell them not to bow down to other gods because he's afraid of of the competition. (laughs) He says don't bow down to those false gods because they're going to tear you up. They're going to produce all kinds of bad stuff in your life. Many of us know the name Jim Elliott. He was 27 years old when he was killed by the Aka Indians in South America. He was the one who said, he is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Now, we know that about Jim Elliott, but, you know, he was one of four guys. Nate Saint was a part of that group as well. You know what Nate said? My life as a Christian never really took shape until I came to grips with the fact that obedience to God is not a momentary option but a decision that's made beforehand. That's what the Lord's saying to his people in Exodus 23. If you want to seize the future, not only worship only me, but listen to what I tell you. Obey these instructions, and as you do, your life will be a lot easier and the future will be walked into. Then third, notice a third principle in growing in Christ is separating from the world. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness of the Euphrates for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare for you. There once was a young boy who kept falling out of bed at night. After two hospitalizations, (laughs) in about two months, he quit falling out of bed. His mother said to him, how did you stop falling out of bed? He said, well, Mom, I think it's simple. I decided not to stay as close to the place I got in. You know, the Lord says that to us about walking with him. It's popular today to say that every person is a child of God. That's a lie. The Bible never tells us that. The Bible tells us God always makes a distinction between those who are his and those who are not. And while we're to witness to those who are not, and while we're to love them as we love ourselves... The Lord admonishes us not to be like them. Paul says it well in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, What partnership 
has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. That's what the Lord Jesus means when he says to his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. That's what he means when he says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. The world moves in a direction that's diametrically opposed to what the Lord wants for us. The world says, get all you can, and you'll be successful. Jesus says, give all you can, and you'll be successful. The world says, save your life at all costs. Jesus says, lose your life for my sake, and you'll save it. The world says, do what you want. Jesus says, do what I tell you to do. You want to seize the future? Take your cues from Jesus, not from the world. Witness, love them as you love yourself, but recognize he's made you differently through the power of the Holy Spirit. There are two paths, two roads. Jesus says, follow me on the narrow one. And you will seize the future. And then finally, he says, weld yourselves together with other believers. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. In every one of these verses, every time you see the word you, it's plural, except for verse 32. Every time you see you, it's the second person, plural, pronoun. In other words, every promise, every commandment, every plan that's articulated here by the Lord is to the corporate group. Why? Because when it comes to faith, there are no lone rangers. When it comes to faith, Jesus died for his body, the church. And yet in the church, there are a lot of people doing their own thing however they desire to do it. There are Christians living for themselves, behind their masks, and you know the result of that? You begin to accept your own perceptions as reality. I think it was Donald Gray Barnhouse who said that one of the great blessings of heaven is that we will know God. And one way we'll know him is we will know all those he saved and redeemed. We'll see all of his handiwork. I think of a man from India. His name was Sanu Singh. And at age 20, Singh was converted from Buddhism to Christianity. He began to go around telling people of Christ. Within three years, he had become a full-fledged missionary. Everywhere he went, he told the gospel. He sought to have the Holy Spirit change lives. So one day, he's walking down the road with a, another man who was a Buddhist monk, and they're in the Himalayas. And they're on the way to a monastery... And it begins to snow. 
In fact, the snow becomes so great, it's almost a whiteout, and they're in a hurry to get to shelter and to warmth and to food, and suddenly, as they're hurrying along, they hear a cry. And Sanu Singh stops, and he says, we must help him. The Buddhist says, no, if we seek to help him, we'll die. It's between he and his God. Let's go. And Singh refuses to go. And so the monk continues on. Singh leaves the road and begins to climb down some ledges. And he finds a man with a broken leg on a ledge below the road. He takes a blanket that he's carrying and he makes it into a sling. And he puts it around the body of the man and he hoists him up on his shoulder. And with him on his shoulder, he begins to climb up the ledges and onto the road again. Well, Singh is a little guy. This man wasn't much bigger, but he was a lot of weight. And so he's walking along and he's thinking, I don't have much energy and it's snowing and it's cold and I'm not going to make it. So finally he begins to try to run. And as soon as he gets two paces in a run, he trips and he falls. He puts his hand down into the snow and he notices a, a hard object. He brushes the snow away and there he finds the corpse of the Buddhist monk who had fallen and frozen to death. Years later when he's asked what he learned from that journey, he said, I learned the most dangerous thing in the world is to be alone and have no one to carry. You want to seize the future? You want to make sure your life counts for the kingdom of God, regardless of your age. The world says to us, there's certain times you get to be too old, you can't make changes. The Lord disagrees with that. There's never an age where you're too old for the Holy Spirit to begin to change your heart. You want your life to count for... The kingdom of God, learn to do four things. Worship him in all circumstances. Learn his word and ask him to give you the power to obey it. Forsake the values of the world and follow Jesus. And invest yourself in the spiritual welfare of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you will seize the future. You will grow spiritually. Can you think of the excitement in that room in Harlem that day? Just think, here's a man, Eugene Lang, who's got the time, the talent, and the resources to make good on his promise. Every child that stays in school will get a college education. You say, that's an amazing promise. Ladies and gentlemen, that promise doesn't compare one whit to what Jesus has promised us. He's got the time, he's got the talent, and he's got the resources to give us a brand new way of life. A life that is abundant and is free and is able to seize the future that he set before us. It's Baccalaureate Sunday here at Hebron.
a time we celebrate the accomplishments of 14 graduating seniors. But much more than that, we celebrate the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. And he has promised us a profound future. And he says to us, grow into it. Can you think of a better time to think about that? Amen. Amen.